0: Bass Edge Radio. Commence broadcast in three, two, one. You're listening to The Edge, everything bass fishing, coming to you nationwide from the Bass Edge Studios.
1: Aaron, it is a pleasure to be back for another episode of Bass Edge Radio. I got to tell you, buddy, our last several episodes, talk knocking it out of the park KJ, Dustin Connell bringing the goodies, man. I've had a lot of fun on the show, and re-listening to the last couple of shows has really kind of driven it home for me, man.
2: Yeah, it's um, you know, and of course this is always my favorite time of year. June 15th is always kind of the mark of, you know, I, I'm, I'm pretty much setting out in the depths, Kurt. I mean, I can't say, I hate to say it, but the, the biggest thing that I'm using my power poles for now, or when I'm at the dock, or keeping me from drifting off of my, you know, <laughs> spot that I'm setting out in the middle of the lake but uh, that's okay because I love this time of year
1: yeah the fish are definitely they're on the feed now man they you know I feel like they're on the feed the entire month of June and continue through this latter part of June um, right into that first part of July before things start to get a little tougher <laughs> July and August you know at least down here in the in the middle part of the country in the southern part of the country a little bit different than um, our northern brethren who are up there still Still jacking on them yeah. because they, they only have a short time to eat. So, uh, Well, that's
2: right. But then, you, of course, then what you do is you probably follow all the recreational boaters around and look for scenery. <laughs> is that right?
1: Yeah, exactly. I'm always looking to make sure they've got their MegaWare keel guard. You know, I don't care who you are <laughs> recreational, bass fishermen, you got to have that MegaWare keel guard. Don't forget the industry's first do it yourself keel protector, protecting your boat from harmful rocks and road debris. Check out all their products at keelguard.com. But switching up, back into the fish mode, not the scenery mode out there. I got to say, you know, I get to toss up you know, I love the top water fishing. The top water fishing kind of extends for me through this late part of June. You know, I, I want to get out there deep. I think that's where I'm going to find my numbers out deep. But I got to be honest, man, I'm going to try to stick it in the mud early in the day. I'm going to stay up there shallow and then kind of work myself out deep a little bit. So I'm going to try and throw that one, two punch in there this time of year.
2: Well, I think that's a great point. And don't forget, we've talked about it many, many times before, but in the morning, as especially when you start getting into the heat of the summer like that. You can chase those shade lines, right, from the bluffs, from the trees. Look for that. Even though the sun might be high and it might be 10 o'clock in the morning, there's still going to be shade where those shallow fish are going to be positioned. And just like you said, Kurt, it is hard to put down that topwater bait just because it's so exciting, so visual, so interactive. But like I said, I've seen it before to where you can go on an all-day topwater bite. And when you have that happen, that is certainly something special. And speaking of something special, we have quite... Quite the special tackle tip for today, right here on Bass Edge Radio.
1: The tackle tip brought to you by ProtectTheHarvest.com with Bass Elite Angler and Dustin Connell.
3: One of my favorite post spawn techniques is a six inch provoked jerk bait. I throw that bait on fifteen pound Seaguar fluorocarbon and an ALX Deputy rod. Huge postponed bait. I throw that bait everywhere I go, every lake. Lay down trees is a very big deal. Rip wraps is a huge deal for me also, but that is my go-to bait for post spawn fishing.
0: First by land, and now by sea. For years, Lucas Oil has been a staple in high-performance vehicles on both the road and track. Now, from the makers of Lucas Oil comes Lucas Marine Products, specifically engineered for marine applications. Protect and lubricate your marine inboard, outboard, or high-performance boat with Lucas Marine Engine Oil or Lucas Synthetic-Based Oil. Learn more about the complete line of Lucas Oil and marine products, visit lucasoil.com. Nitro Performance Fishing Boats is now the official boat of Bass Edge Radio. Be sure to check out the Nitro Z Series Performance Fishing Boats. The 2017 lineup features five boats ranging from 17.4 up to 21 foot 2 inches. Two new models for 2017 include the Nitro Z17, our entry level bass boat at 17 foot 4 inches and rated for 115 horsepower. The flagship of the Nitro lineup, the Nitro Z21, at 21.2 in length. Its performance and fishability is unmatched. Designed with input from top elite pros like KVD, Edwin Evers, Rick Klun, and Ott DeFoe, Nitro Performance Fishing Boats. Champions aren't born, they're made.
2: You know, Kurt, you brought it up in the little opening segment there, but then also off-air you'd mentioned. And I want to bring this back up concerning this buzz bait, skirtless buzz bait. All right. And I'm just going to leave it at that because I, I want you to dive off into this, because I think this is truly a weapon. And actually, quite honestly, this is something that I haven't done.
1: Yeah. Uh, I tell you what, you know, I, I first kind of learned about this through our Bass Edge interviews and seen it on TV and Brian Thrift talking about it. And um, Aaron, I got to say, if, if you're listening to Bass Edge, you always get the juice. It's it's how you get it and how you apply it is the success. With all this stuff. But um, the buzz bait without a skirt, I've been putting a uh, Zoom horny toad on the back of that bait. I've also been using it with an optimum swim bait, a uh, small paddle tail swim bait. You can put so much on you know, this buzz bait. And I really think it's eliciting a different strike than the normal buzz bait with just a, a regular skirt on it. So I really want to dial this in a little bit for folks and, and why I think it's, it's that much special. One, we hear a lot about clear water or, you know, very lightly stained water and the need nowadays to kind of utilize those swim baits to have a more realistic approach. I think, that this buzz bait with the plastic trailer versus the skirt um, really gives that for us. You know, I think the fish are just reacting to it a little bit better. Also, it's giving that much more action to the lure. You know, the skirt does do some undulating as you're winding the buzz bait over top the water. Of course, the the buzzers displacing the water and kind of making it, you know, a, a more natural presentation because the fish doesn't get as good a view of the you know, that's just a skirt and a piece of wire and metal and all that kind of stuff. But um, I really think that that plastic trailer is giving it that much more added attraction. So, and- Kurt,
2: are you, are you just taking, just buying, it? you know, do you have to go with a, to be able to, let's say, for instance, your first thing you said, putting on a Zoom Horny Toad. Yeah. It does does the body and the head and the blade differ from what you would use then on say the optimum swim bait or can, are those one and the same and you just slide your bait up and put a little glue on it, keep it up there at the nose and, and go to work?
1: Yes. They're all one and the same. I've been using an IMA buzz bait um, a lot. Um, there's lots of other great buzz baits out there on the market, but being able to, you know, keep that trailer up there either with some, you know, Loctite super glue, that gel super glue has always worked very well for me. There's new buzz baits now that are even coming out with little uh, plastic trailers where you can just buy them without skirts, period. So you can look for those out there on the market. I really like that squeak and just have that confidence of that I'm a buzz bait. But yeah, you're just putting the whole piece of plastic or the entire swim bait and sliding it up on that hook and throwing it just like you would, you know, any other buzz bait you did 10 years ago. So, so can, um, you, can
2: you fish open water and just run down the bank or is, or is your success coming more around certain types of structure? For
1: my success, it has been all over the map. Used this a lot at Lake Travis at the FLW event earlier this year. There's not a ton of cover on a lot of the banks up there. There's some sporadic cover, but the fish were eating it in open water. Just recently used it over there on the Mississippi River. Lots of grass. These baits come through the grass really well. Um, even sometimes with that plastic trailer, a little bit better than just the skirt because it keeps that hook straight up all the time. Kind of helps the bait kind of flow over the grass, especially with that Zoom Horny Toad. You know, because it kind of has that flat profile to it. So um, there's no question that it's utilized open water and through cover. I've caught some fish on laydowns, that type of thing. So it's it's really versatile. I think it's just giving that buzz bait a more natural look and natural presentation. If you haven't tried it, Bass Edge listeners, get you an I'm a Buzzbait or your favorite Buzzbait out there, put you a plastic trailer on it, go to work, you're going to catch more bass.
2: Speaking of catching more bass, let's uh, roll right into who you have queued up next. Yeah. Is uh, I think another newcomer, right, Kirk?
1: He is. He is another newcomer and he has been catching plenty of bass. He's been tearing it up on the FLW Tour. Stay tuned. For the next Lucas Oil
3: Angler Spotlight. Hey, you got a professional angler David Mullins? This is SLW Tour Pro Bradley Hallman. I'm professional angler John Carr. Bass Bass Elite Series Angler, Caitlin Baby, Cliff Crochet. This is Bass Elite Angler Chris Lane, and you are tuned in to Bass Edge Radio.
1: In this Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight, we get a chat with an angler that's kind of quietly been tearing up these last two seasons on the FLW Tour. He's currently sitting in sixth place in the A.O.I. standings going into the tour's final event on the Potomac River. A big bass edge. Welcome to Jeff Sprague. Jeff, thanks for being on the show with us.
2: Hey guys. Good morning. Hey, good morning, Jeff. I understand you're from Point Texas, really in what I would consider the heart of Texas's, you know, great lakes. Did you grow up in that area and also, would you claim that area as, as helping you get to kind of the level that you are now?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I grew up here uh, in East Texas right here. I didn't grow up in Point. I grew up in a little town called uh, Edgewood, just right out down the road, 20 miles or so. Grew up here on Lake Tawakonee and Lake Fork, both. Uh, you know, used to take the farm truck over when we weren't even old enough to drive with a bass tube or a john boat and float around and catch everything that swam with fins, you know, so I've been extremely lucky to have those two uh, big ponds in my backyard to be able to kind of cut my teeth if you will so absolutely you know I played ball in school and um wound up doing you know was a, a big baseball player but there was always that competitive side and always fished so that fishing it never went away it never went away and it was I've always done it since I was uh you know knee high to a grasshopper and uh I'm just super stoked to be able to uh finally pick up the rod and reel and, and be able to do it at this level in my career and then in life. So. Absolutely. Yeah, East Texas is a great place to grow up. Um, We have a lot of great fisheries right through here. And I do attribute that to being able to kind of understand bass and to be able to figure them out a little bit because I've got two total different styles of lakes that, that I grew up on right there that I could choose to fish one or the other like Fork or Lake Tawakonee, if you will.
1: That is so awesome. It seems like there's some kind of connection there between baseball and fishing. You get a lot of outdoor guys that play baseball and vice versa. What do you think it is about baseball players and outdoors? You think it's just, you know, maybe the running around the dirt, being outside, and they're just, that's their deal? Or where do you think that goes
3: to? Fun- it is funny that you say that, Kurt. You know, um, as a ball player, you know, we spend a lot of time outdoors. We spend a lot of time encouraging other teammates and, and then, you know, it's weird because you're in a, baseball is not like football. Baseball is a springtime sport, and it's in the air. It's in your bones. It's in your soul, if you will. And I know it sounds kind of weird, but it, it really is. When you're out there in the spring and, you know, the season's changing and you spend so much time outdoors – you get to see the, the leaves grow on the trees. You get to see the birds start chirping. You get to see, you feel it, you know? And yeah, it, yeah. It, it's just, you you know what I mean? Like, you just become more in tune with nature. And, I mean, I feel like baseball is such a up-and-down sport. Like, you have hot moments where everything is intense and everything is going uh, 100,000 miles an hour, and then you got that downtime. And to be honest with you, that really relates to fishing. You know, we do a lot of fishing just like that, where everything is boom, 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 so fast, so heavy, so intense and then you've got those periods of low times of right. what people don't see on TV to where we're out there grinding away just trying to figure out the next piece of the puzzle you know why they've changed or what they've done and it's the same in baseball so I think that may be something that maybe underlying a little bit that people don't compare a whole lot
1: sure yeah I, I always thought it was chewing tobacco was part of that deal but, <laughs> but, uh, but I, I actually yeah, grew up playing well, baseball too I'm not saying I'm proud of it but I started chewing tobacco at a pretty young age I, I kind of left that by the wayside now but but, uh, you know that that always seems to go hand in hand as well, right? <laughs>
3: Uh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so it's definitely a cheaper sport to not chew tobacco. Let's tell you that. <laughs> uh, exactly right. tobacco's, I know it kind of got out of control there. So and it's way better for our health not to do that. Yeah, that's,
1: but, uh, that's right. That's right. <laughs> well, i tell you what, man, you you're uh, you've been keying it up again this year on the FLW Tour. You're currently in sixth place overall in the standings. Uh, you finished sixth last year overall and led Angler of the Year for, uh, I think, a couple of events. What is it that's helped you kind of turn that corner in your consistency? If you kind of look back and you look at Jeff Sprague and where he's been and, and where he's at these last couple years, you've always been good, but you have really raised the bar here, you know, with probably coming on two top 10 AOI finishes. Tell us what you can attribute that strong consistency to.
3: You know... I'm by nature, just kind of low-lying. Like, I, I like to watch people, if you will. Um, it comes from my background, uh, what I've done prior to being around the fishing industry in my professional career before. So I like to watch and, and just learn, if you will, before I jump in with both feet and try to make a splash. Um, so a lot of it, I feel like I kind of tried to find my place uh, on the tour and just to see where I fit in and to just to feel my way around and see, you know, what, what it was all about. And I used to do a lot of research on the lakes that we would go to. I, I would internet research. I would Google maps. I would Google earth. I would do all the necessary research that I felt like. I've never been to these places. I don't have a network. I don't know anyone, you know? And I would try to just do so much research and compact so much into my practices and try to figure out and how these tournaments were previously won and, and what locals, if you could find any research, had, had won something and kind of figured out what maybe what they would do or wh- what areas of the lakes or that they were fishing. And I was reading way too much into it. Um, you know, at the end of the day, I grew up fishing just like you guys or anyone who's listening to this show. I didn't trust my ability and I didn't trust my instinct and my intuition into bass fishing. And I really tried to study that Internet stuff and, and tried to play that game. That's not my game. I figured that out real fast, um, you know, after a year, year and a half of watching and learning and listening. And then I just kind of put all that to the wayside, if you will. And I went back to what Jeff Sprague does into what, you know, bass fishing would tell me to do. I grew up with them. I I mean, I like to say I'm just dumb enough to catch a bass, you know, and I really feel that. Um, I don't feel like that you need to Always go to the Internet, and you always need to go to YouTube or you don't need to go to some guy's fishing report to figure out what the fish are doing because, honestly, it doesn't matter because the fish change every day, every hour that we're there. They're changing. They're doing something. You have to get to that body of water, and you have to learn it in the moment. That's the biggest deal for me, and I feel like, honestly, that's what I've done. You know, I started going back to who I am and what I like to do and, and trust that. And just, you know, we're not going to do well to everyone. I, I've learned to accept that and i you know and you're so much pressure on ourselves to perform and to do well at these events that you just you you go and you, you're hard. You, you you go so hard and sometimes you overlook things. So that's probably the major and the, the main factor that I can attribute to, you know, being able to just, if you will, come out of my shell and to trust who and what I know and to just go fishing.
2: That's great information right there. And let's run with that for a second, Jeff, because obviously in the 10 years of existence of Bass Edge, you know, we've been fortunate enough to be kind of part of this trend to where, you know, Bass Edge Nation is a very vertical audience and, and they love diving off into what makes Jeff make his decisions while both on and off the water you know obviously you started competing on the flw tour several years ago as a co-angler how do you relate or can you relate to our listeners just a couple of those valuable lessons that you learned there in the back of the boat that will always have an impact you know on your fishing and really has made you who you are today
3: sure you know i was a former police officer firefighter emt I did that full time, uh, just out of the military, straight into work, and I, I did that, and I honestly thought that I'd found my niche in life. I'd done that since I was, you know, just out of high school into college, you know, while I was in the military, and I did all those things, and it taught me a lot about people and about life. But meanwhile, I'm fishing on the side the whole time. I'm fishing, but I couldn't find the time to get away and fish professionally and do what I, would, you know, my passion was. There were guys who showed up to work. And they loved being a police officer and a firefighter MT. They just they would go home and they would just on their days off, they would just that's their that where they loved it. And I'm not saying I didn't, but it wasn't truly who I was. I was an old redneck while I was at work, grew up in the country, wanted to do nothing but fish and hunt, and I was trying to work and then try to do that on the side. So that is where FLW and the co angler came into play for me. For the amount of money that they charged us to be a co angler, I could go get in the boat with a professional angler such as kurt dove or if aaron martin fished the tour any of those guys and learn from those guys for two full days and if i made the cut hey dude i got to fish for three days for like 700 bucks you know what i mean and learn everything that that guy was going to teach me for three days and he's not going to hold anything back he's trying to make his living up there And so I approached that with an open mind of, hey, I'm not going to go and try to make money at this tournament. I'm going to go with my pen and paper, and I'm going to learn. I'm going to learn what he's doing, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent. If he's catching them or if he's not catching them, why is he catching them? And if he's not catching them, why is he not catching them? What would I do different? The whole time I'm back there, there were times that I wouldn't even really fish. I I would act like I'm fishing, but I'm watching the whole time. I was extremely, extremely lucky. Um, I had great success in the back of the boat for, uh, you know, and they always say that the cream rises to the top, and that's true sometimes, and I really believe that. But at the same time, if you go and you get in someone's boat, and you go with those guys and you go with an open mind and you say, hey, I'm here to learn. It doesn't matter if I catch fish. It doesn't matter if I make a check today or if I get a trophy. What matters is is that I take something away from this event. That is a huge, 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 it's a college education. It's a doctorate in bass fishing. If you're willing to take it, I get so many guys in my boat that get there and they want to tell me about their successes. They want to tell me about what they've done, where they're going, and when they're going to fish the bass elites or the FLW tour. And, hey, that's fine. We all all know. Everybody's a great fisherman, but you have to be open-minded and you have to be, when you go into someone else's boat, if you're not there for the right reasons, I feel like that, it, it puts you at a disadvantage. And that's why I feel like I had such success as I went with an open mind and I was there to do nothing but learn. And when you go with that mental attitude, it sets you in the right pace, and it sets you on the right trajectory to do what you need to do, and that is to, to truly take in all that information and to learn it and go with it. So, you know, that put me in position to do things that a lot of guys never will be able to do or have never been able to do in their life, and that's to fish a few Forcewood Cups with as right. a co-angler when they, when they would take them as a co-angler. I got to fish with Randall Tharp when he won the Forcewood Cup, you know, and— I got to see what it does to an angler when he looks behind him and he sees a co angler catch five bass behind him that he may need or he needs to win a tournament that will put him into the next category in his professional career. And that's why I know how hard it is on these on, on me and other professional anglers to see us with a coin on the back of our boat what it can and can't do for them. Um, So I've seen it from so many different angles, guys. I'm so lucky, so blessed to be able to have done what I've done in my short career uh, and to come up the way that I have come. It would take more than this interview for us to really cover it all, to be honest with you.
1: Right, right. So I got to ask you this. You know, you were talking about Randall Tharp there real quickly. Is there one or two things that you saw as a co-angler? I'm sure your co-anglers have seen you make some moves and like, dang, that was like mind boggling. You know, wow, Jeff did this to make this happen. As you were a co-angler, do you have one or two experiences that stick out for you that say, you know, when I was with X, they did Y and it turned into – X2.
3: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, for sure. I have been lucky enough to fish with some of the greatest that have been on both Elites and FLW. Some were on the Elites, came to FLW, and some were on FLW and now go to the Elites. I've seen guys do things such as fish a single brush pile for five hours, making the same cast, changing baits continuously, and catch fish every hour. One fish an hour, maybe. It's unbelievable. And that may have been at a Forestwood Cup when it was a deep deal at, uh, I believe it, like Lake Washita, and I was fishing with Jay Yellis. That teaches you patience. That teaches you that fisherman truly believes that there are five bass in that pile that are going to put him to the next day in a top 10 on the leaderboard, you know? And if you don't believe that those fish are there, then honestly, in my opinion, I wouldn't have been fishing for him, but he did, you know? So those things, and then since I mentioned Tharp and, and I fished with him, you know, that was my last tournament as a co-angler ever to fish in the back of the boat. I made that decision going into that tournament, no matter the outcome of what happened at that Forestwood Cup. Obviously, I did well there. I, I, I made the top five, I believe, in that Forestwood Cup as a co-angler, uh, fish with Tharp. And I'm going to tell you, fishing with Tharps and fishing with Brent Ayler and fishing with Brett Height and fishing with these guys that I've been able to be around as a co-angler when I was first up and coming, those are not the guys you want to fish behind I'm telling you right now, those are guys that you might as well sit down, get your peanut butter and jelly sandwich out and watch because those guys catch them. They don't leave them behind. They don't miss one. When they go through an area, they catch them. That's all there is to it. And so when I fished with Tharp, that was a big deal for him, uh, obviously. And it was a big deal for me, too. I knew it was my last tournament. I was at a little bit different mindset, and I wanted to catch fish. I wanted to do well, I wanted to make that money to be able to help me fish you know the tour the next year as a professional. And um, I felt really bad, honestly, at one or two points because I caught some bass that I know Tharp would have needed or could have used if things didn't go the way they went for him. And it really, you can tell it bothers a guy. It bothers me sometimes whenever I'm doing something that I believe in and I know I'm going to catch the ones that I need to catch, but my cohener behind me is doing something different and he catches one or two fish that I'm going to need. He might not catch five, he might just catch two or one but it might be a four pounder. And that's the difference between third and first, you know, so I did that with Tharp and to be able to see him perform and to be able to see uh, someone change their life before your eyes is pretty magical. And I was truly lucky and blessed to be a part of it.
1: Yeah, that is really cool. i tell you what, Jeff, we're going to take a quick break. Hang in there. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about some early summer kind of, you know, this late June time period patterns that you're going to look for. Bass edge radio is going to return
2: with Jeff Sprague here in just a moment.
0: Oh, oh, oh,
2: O'Reilly. If it's hard to stop or you hear squealing and grinding noises during braking, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts. You'll find the brake parts you need from trusted brands like BrakeBest, Best, Brake Best Select, and Wagner Thermo Quiet at everyday low prices. Play it safe with brake parts from O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices, every day. Oh, oh, oh,
0: O'Reilly. Auto Parts.
2: Edge Radio brought to you in part by Nitro Boats Returns with FLW Tour Pro. Jeff Sprague in the Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight. That's right, Lucas Oil, high-performance marine products from real oils to two-cycle outboard oil that surpasses all manufacturer's requirements. Visit them at lucasoil.com. It works.
1: Well, Jeff, as I said before the break, we want to break down some fishing patterns, man. What kind of patterns are you looking to establish in this kind of late June time frame?
3: You know, it really depends on the part of the country that you are in, to be honest with you, because we have now, obviously, we reach such a wide audience it's I may tell you guys something that applies down here in Texas, and you may be up there at Champlain, and you're like, oh my gosh, we're just now starting to spawn. This guy's out of his mind, you know? But you guys kind of got to, you know, they understand, and if you're on the water enough, you'll kind of get the gist. When we start getting into these summertime patterns, I start really looking at my vegetation on the bank, water temperature, water clarity, the amount of rivers and things that flow into a body of water, and start looking for a thermocline, things like that. That's what I'm truly starting to look for, uh, you know, in the summertime fishing. You'll start looking for a uh, topwater bite. You'll start looking for uh, a deep bite, obviously. And then you start looking for that thermocline to see where it's going to move the fish to and how early or late that that takes effects and, and what that really does to the fishing and the fishery that and the body of water that you're on. You know, Jeff,
2: as an angler, I love the sport obviously, but I always have some difficulty in going through the thought process of deep or shallow you know in the summertime and we see so many tournament anglers successful really in in both columns of the water but for so many it gets confusing on which way to go if they just have one weekend day to fish can you elaborate on that a little bit
3: yeah you know guys here's my biggest suggestion to you on that is you fish how you like to fish okay no matter what you want to do there's gonna be fish that are shallow and there's gonna be fish that are deep There's shallow fish that are in six inches of water, and there's shallow fish that live in six feet of water. There's deep fish that live in 16 feet of water, and there's deep fish that live in 60 feet of water all depends on how you like to fish don't necessarily have to go out and look for these fish and try to change your game fish how you like to fish so as you start looking at these summertime patterns um, if you want to go and try to fish deep and you're not a deep fisherman you know start out there in that relatively shallow water when i say shallow try and 16 foot 12 15 20 foot that's your primary depth range when you start fishing offshore and those will be the last places to thermocline usually on any body of water and when i say a thermocline if you're not familiar with that basically the oxygen level depletes below a certain point and then it pushes the fish up in the water to where they can't go any deeper than say 25 feet because there's no air down there for them to breathe so they have to come up that pushes the bait up that pushes the fish up and that allows you to fish now that applies a lot you know as you get later in the year But that's a good rule of thumb, you know. Start out there and you can look for long points. You can look for humps. You can look for a lot of small things like that. And you just start out there if you find a long point. You can put your boat out there in 25 feet of water. Start following your contour lines up on your Lowrance graph and start fishing toward the bank, you know, slowly but surely with maybe a Carolina rig a football jig, you know, a deep crankbait, like, you know, Six Sense makes the best crankbait on the market. Uh, we have a great line of deep diving crankbaits. Those are types of ways that you can just cover a little bit of water and actually fish toward the bank and figure out maybe what depth range, because as soon as you get a bite or two, you'll look down and you'll say, okay, my boat is setting in is 18. I'm, I'm, I'm throwing up. And then watch as you get shallower, you'll see where those fish were at, and you'll say, oh, well, I was setting in 18, but I was catching them out of 12. You'll kind of know, hey, the fish are positioning in 12. That way, now when you start looking around the lake a little bit more, you can start targeting maybe that 12 foot of water, no to keep your boat off of it, but to throw toward that depth range. And that will help your success rate climb, obviously.
2: So, in your previous life, previous career as a first responder, you know, obviously you're no stranger to having limited time on the water. And really, that kind of even translates over into limited time of pre fishing now for the tournaments. But what is in the mid June, what is your number one go? to technique when you have a short time on the water to really try and get out there and start uh, being able to build on something?
3: Guys, the best tool in the toolbox by any means is a Gene LaRue biffle bug, okay? Any tournament angler that fishes bass or FLW has a biffle bug in their boat at any time. It's, It's a guarantee whether they want to admit it or not. It's a great search tool. It's like a crankbait. It's like a football jig. It's like a Carolina rig. It's a little bit of everything, okay? You can chunk that thing up. You can tie one ounce, three-quarter ounce, half ounce, seven-sixteenths. It doesn't matter. Just the heavier the weight, the deeper you go. Most of the time, it allows you to cover water and cover it efficiently. You can feel what's on the bottom. You know if it's rock, wood, if the bottom's hard, if it's soft. It just catches bass. It's amazing. You know, sometimes as, as a pro and as a fisherman, we hate to expose those things. But at the same time, I was there once, and I understand that hey, I don't have five straight days to go fish. I've got, you know, Saturday morning, I'm going to go at seven and I got to be off by three. I got to go to one of your your son's baseball game or football, whatever. So you've got a few hours you want to go out and catch some fish. That's a great, great search tool and it's a great fish catching weapon. It really is.
1: Let's break that down just a little bit, Jeff. Um, Talk to the listeners about how you like to use it, what kind of rod action, line size. What are you looking for to put that biffle bug in the right areas?
3: I will throw a biffle bug from... Two foot of water to 30 foot of water. I'm dead serious. I just left Chickamauga on a bass open there, and I was throwing a biffle bug in probably a half ounce biffle bug in probably three foot of water or less, all the way dragging it all the way out to about 15. Those fish were on a shallow, shallow bar. You can't graft those fish. So it's a very universal bait. You can throw a biffle bug at the bank. As long as you're not in a, like a mega grassy area, you can throw that thing. And if you are in a grassy, grassy area, you just go lighter. You just, you throw like a super light, like a seven sixteenths or something like that. And just, it allows it to come through the grass a little bit easier and you can pop it through. It's very similar to swimming a jig, if you will. And in the same way, whenever you're fishing like, you know, deep water, you. Just just go a little bit heavier. I like to throw my biffle bugs on, uh, I throw P-line exclusively, um, fluorocarbon. Usually I'll throw 15 to 20. Um, those are my two go-to sizes. If I'm gonna fish clearer water and I'm fishing a, maybe a, uh, a little bit lighter head, I'm gonna throw the 15. And then if I'm gonna go and I know I'm going to a place like Chick or Lake Fork or Kentucky Lake and I'm gonna be setting the hook on some of these fish that are jammers, you know, we wanna go to that 20. You can throw a half all the way up to, you know, a, an ounce, ounce and a quarter. Keep that bait in contact with the bottom all the time. Um, and it just allows you to, to feel exactly what's going on. And you, you'll you get to where, when you throw a biffle bug enough, it'll be just like this. You take this in comparison. You, you sit in your yard, and you know that bass like hard spots. They like gravel. They like rock. They like clay bottom. They like all these these places where they can pin their bait against the bottom and eat it. And it allows them to feed more efficiently. So think of it like this. You're sitting in your yard and you see your driveway, okay? And you see the contours, of your driveway, and you see the grass. You throw that biffle bug over there and you reel it through the grass, it's kinda mushy, Uh, you're getting hung up, not that good, you're like, gosh. And then you finally hit that driveway with it, and you feel it just start ticking along, you know you're in the juice, and you know you better just hang on, because it's just a matter of time before one of those old big green fish picks it up and starts going the other direction, and you get that warm fuzzy, and you get to just pull on him as hard as you can, and that's what keeps us coming back for more.
1: That's right. That's a great description that leads me right into a question I want to ask you about speed of fishing. You know, I was actually uh, a couple weeks ago watching FLW Live with a good friend of mine and, and another pro actor angler, and, and we were talking about the speed of fishing, noticing how anglers go from kind of, you know, search mode to catch mode. You talk about looking for that special, you know, hard spot, you know, maybe that driveway, you know, that's around all the grass or, you know, that kind of uh, analogy that you came up with. Talk to our listeners about how important it is to understand what speed you need to be in, fine mode or catch mode, and how important that is for us to understand to be able to put more fish in the boat.
3: That is probably the most underestimated part of tournament fishing and bass fishing period in my personal opinion it's not knowledge it's not baits it's search mode and fish mode it's hard for a guy to get out there and fish for five hours on saturday and sunday and go into search mode and immediately slow down and go into catch mode a lot of times you know a guy needs goes out and they want to catch fish so they automatically go out and they just go into fish mode and that is my recommendation most of the time, man. Just go out and enjoy yourself. Take the kid, your, your boy, your daughter, your wife, the family, anybody that you go with, and just go fishing, have fun. Don't make it unfun for them and, and try to go into search mode where you're just bouncing around and go try this, go try that, go hit a dock, go hit a, a rock, go hit you know this, that, and the other. Have fun. Go fishing. But now to the tournament side of it, that is the most important side of it, and I really think that's what separates a lot of guys. And nothing hurts an angler worse, and it's happened to me twice that I can remember in my career so far, is I've been able to watch a TV show and see another angler make a top five off an area that either I fished through or I knew that the fish were there and I fished them ineffectively. I didn't fish them properly and that will make you a better angler. Now, you, not everybody gets to do that because they don't get to watch a TV show where they fished, but when you're searching and you're in your trolling motor never goes below 70%, say, and you're going down the bank and you're looking, me personally, I'm looking at what's going on in my environment. What is happening at this body of water? What's the bait doing? Is it brim? Is it herring? Is it shad? Is it a mayfly? What's going on? Where are the fish and why are they there? Is it flooded? Is it low? Is it grass? Is it rock? Is it a wind-driven deal? Is it clouds? We have to put all those little pieces of the puzzle and plus many more into it before we can make a decision to, hey, slow down and fish this area. So I may fish through an area. Aaron, you may fish through an area. Kurt, you may fish through an area. I may go through there at 9. You may go through there at 12. And Kurt may go through there at 3 o'clock those fish may be positioned perfectly point in case myself and another angler brandon mcmillan who lives down in florida i don't share a lot of information with any other anglers i work alone uh, with the exception of my travel partner jason reyes who fishes the tour and he used to fish the bass top 100 so brandon mcmillan calls me at like travis this year and he he's a little bit you know spun out and you know and, and we're talking and i said hey i've got a dot i fished through this dot and it was maybe a, it was like four or five o'clock in the afternoon. And I said, it's a stretch of willows. I said, I had about nine or 10 bites, but I never got a hook in one. And I said, I felt like those fish were spawning, like they were just picking it up and pulling and carrying it off of bed. So I gave him the area. I said, run and check it while you're up there. This was about 10 o'clock in the morning. Talked to McMillan, you know, and he let it get, gave him the information, gave him the area. He calls me that night, and we go over it, and he's like, hey, I'll hit that deal. Man, I had a couple bites too, but, you know, I don't think that was the deal. Okay, sounds good. Well, I get to watch Brad Knight on the FLW TV show, Blistrum, on that exact spot. It all had to do with the time of day and the way the sunshine positioned those fish on those trees and then on the beds, period, hands down. It was just timing and not slowing down. It was a time of day I fished through the area really fast, Cause it was getting, I needed to get back to the boat ramp. I had about an hour boat ride back to the boat ramp where I put in and I didn't give it the time and I didn't give it the right time of day. So that didn't allow me to slow down and fish it properly. Like, in my mind, I knew I should have and that's why I even gave it to another angler to check because I he's a good enough flipper to where if he had gone at the right time, he'd have said, Hey Sprag, this is the deal, man. You need to get back oh, over right. here and check that. Right. You know. So that's that's a good relationship as you know, we, we we burn down a bank and we find an area where we might get a couple bites, that suddenly that trolling motor comes off seventy, it goes on twenty, or the power poles go down, the light bulbs go off, and you start picking an area apart and you start target casting, and you start really slowing down and seeing exactly what's there. That was what will separate a top 50 finish or a top 100. a top 20 or a top 10, I feel like.
1: You bet, man. Another great analogy. Really appreciate you digging into that one. That was a good answer. Let's go on to our O'Reilly Auto Parts, Better Parts, Better Prices, Every Day, Listener Question Segment. Jeff, this is where we take a question from people that log on to our Facebook page and leave a question or shoot us an email through our website, BassEdge.com. This question comes from Tyler Dupree. Tyler asks, during post-spawn and fishing shallow or super clear water, and you see a fish flash or Follow your lure, but are not committing to the bite. What do you do that'll give you the best chance at catching that fish?
3: That fish showed itself for a reason. It's protecting fry, usually, uh, it's a fry garter or something along those lines. That fish is in that location. is more than likely gonna stay in that location. If you immediately stop and it's not too close to your boat, you can throw a stick bait of some sort. When I say a stick bait, like maybe a uh, a cinco, it will be your primary deal. A wacky worm of some sort will be your deal up there. We have a uh, Jean Larue has a Tattletail worm. It's a little bit fatter on one end and it's really skinny on the other end. I will hook that wacky style and it gives it a fall back. Those fish are there guarding, so what you can do is immediately As soon as you see that fish flash, I always have a a wacky worm or something tied on a tattletail and I'll skip that thing right up there and just let it sink on no weight. And majority of the time, I'm going to go on a limb and say 80% of the time, that fish is still waiting right there in that general area to see whatever it was it flashed at to see if it comes back or to see if it wounded it. And that fall rate will go right back and those fish will commit to it and they'll swim over and eat it. And the next thing you know, you're putting that fish in the box onto the next
2: one. One other quick question, Jeff, on that, let's say perhaps if you are too too close or maybe it didn't respond right off when you threw your stick bait back in there is that an area that you would come back you know later in the day if you didn't catch that fish and hit or is it just absolutely. more or less Absolutely, okay
3: absolutely very good question very good question and that's something a lot of guys need to you know that it would make you a better fisherman say you saw it flash it's a pound and a half or are not going to help you cool man jet on down the bank you're good to go but if it's not and it was a good one, say so it was a four-pounder and you needed it, what you would want to do is you were too close, you blew it out with your trolling motor or that fish man got to look at you or the boat, go on down the bank. Just keep fishing. Mark it with a dot, a waypoint on your lorance and then keep going. Give it 20, 30 minutes and then come back. When you go back through there the next time, just take your tattletail worm, And skip it up there wacky style and start fishing it really thoroughly, if that makes sense. Make numerous casts at that area and that fish will usually commit and you'll be able to put him in the box and get yourself ahead of the game.
2: Tyler, thanks for sending in that question and Jeff, we certainly appreciate you lending him some great advice. One thing we need from you, Tyler, though, is be sure to email us through our website at bassedge.com. Click on that claim your prize tab by filling out your address, and we will be sure to get out that O'Reilly Auto Parts gift card.
1: And as always, a reminder, Bass Edge Lenders, keep Send those questions to our Facebook page and also our website, BassEdge.com. You can also send us an email, support at BassEdge.com, with those questions to possibly win that next O'Reilly Auto Parts gift card.
2: Well, Jeff, we certainly appreciate your debut episode with us here on Bass Edge Radio. Uh, Any closing thoughts as as we begin to shut it down? I know the train whistle was blowing in the back, so I think that's probably your way of saying (laughs) that you need to get back on the water.
3: Yeah, no, yeah, absolutely. Man, I've enjoyed it. Uh, it's been a roller coaster of uh, of events you know and i'm so- certainly enjoyed meeting all these guys on the road and every every time we get somewhere and, and you know these guys that submit these questions to us and that are fellow fishermen we all do the same thing we're all in it together the conservation of our sport when you take a picture with a fish take a quick picture and turn that fish loose don't throw your plastics in the water you know small things like that that i really push for on conservation because those fish are our future let's take care of what we got and provide it for you know next year five years down the road We never know who the next Kurt Dove is or or the next Aaron Martins or anything like that. So definitely look forward to meeting everyone. And, and, uh, you know, if if you see us on the road, stop and say hi. Always love to take a picture and and talk fishing, guys.
1: I appreciate the shout out there, Jeff, but uh, I think they need to be aspiring a little bit higher. (laughs) But uh, anyway, (laughs) hey, I tell you what, we're going to send you off with our segment four last questions for you. Who is your favorite fishing partner?
3: My favorite fishing partner? Gosh, you had to put me on the spot with that one, to be honest with you. Um, I fish alone so much. It's hard to say. When I get to get in the boat with my travel partner, uh, I used to practice with him at, when I was a non-pro. Jason Reyes would obviously be my favorite fishing partner. Such a relaxed, easygoing, great dude. Love getting in the boat with him. Uh, there's been times where he's on the front deck in an FLW event in uh, practice nothing's going right it's hot it's not fun i'll just run up there and pretty much form tackle him on the front of his boat uh we'll go through a quick wrestling match on the front of his boat roll around on some rods uh and then uh he'll pin me or i'll pin him and then we're uh we're back to fishing you know sometimes you got to break up the monotony That's and have some it. fun on the boat you know and i That's mean awesome. when's the last time you saw two two a professional and a guy out on the front <laughs> deck of their boat you really think they're fighting and uh, we're both frustrated and i just run up there and grab him around the shoulders and you know and just tackle him to the boat deck. It's so much fun to have that and to be able to fish with somebody like that. He's a great dude, and I owe him owe him everything that uh, to, to be able to do what I'm doing now. I really appreciate it. He's a great, great fisherman. That's
1: awesome, man. That could be a new YouTube channel. Uh, front Deck. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so hey, what, hey, body, front, yeah. <laughs> what body of water did you catch your first bass?
3: First bass. I got my first trophy uh, in a fishing tournament. First bass was on Wills Point City Lake in Wills Point, Texas. The trophy was presented by the Militia. Loof, Whitetail Ranch, Still work at the Maloof Whitetail Ranch uh, during deer season. I'm a big deer hunter, uh, loved a whitetail hunt and bow hunt, and uh, still have that trophy to this day. I'll never forget it. It's where I caught my first bass, my first tournament, and I, it was a third place finish. And uh, that trophy means a lot to me.
1: Awesome. Okay, what is the last picture you took with your phone?
3: Oh, let me look down. Hang on, just one second. We'll take. We'll, we'll get you guys uh, a true answer on that.
2: And while you're doing All that, right. I get to ask the fifth question, Kurt. I know it's four last questions, but All anyway.
3: Right. Okay, the last. Picture picture. Picture on my phone is a selfie of me and my cameraman on day three at... Uh, La Crosse, Wisconsin, as we are about to take off from the boat ramp. I always like to give my cameramen the props because they're the men behind the camera, and they never get to be uh, usually on the forefront, so I always like to take a selfie of me and my cameraman. That way, they get some love, and I'll eventually throw those guys up on my social media page and show them the appreciation because they're the guys that make it all happen. They're holding that big camera all day long, toting it around, watching paint dry until we get that you know 30 seconds of smacking a big one and putting them in the live well. Awesome,
1: man. Okay, so you win the next National tournament. who do you thank first?
3: You know, i would I would truly probably think. obviously, I would thank my travel partner and my, and my best friend, Jason Reyes, honestly. And then I would thank, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a religious guy, but just to the point to where I know obviously thank, you know, our Lord and Savior for, for putting the fish there for us to catch and the body of water together for us to be on. So that, that would be my first two to go to.
2: All right, I'm going to throw you a curveball, Jeff. Uh, I know it was supposed to only be four questions, but I'm going to ask you the fifth question just because I thought it was so hilarious. Where was the first place you started to pull in to do this interview and stop from driving? When we first got you on the phone.
3: (laughs) So I'm rolling down the highway here, and these guys call me on the phone and they're like, hey, we got a lot of background noise. Think you could uh, maybe, you know, you got a window open? So I pull in and I look up, and there's three giant X's on a sign. in front of me. And I'm in a wrap trucking boat. Here I am. I mean, and I'm like, that's not what you want to be doing when Jesus comes back. So here I am. I've put this thing right back in drive. And I'm like, we're going down the road, boys. Y'all are going to have to give me a couple minutes to get to the next exit. So yeah, they, you got me on that deal. And it's bad timing, bad timing. It's just like fishing. You may wheel into the one that you may wheel into the one and it not be any, it not be the place to go. You just got to recognize it immediately and keep going.
1: That's exactly right. Jeff, man, it's been awesome to have you. You on the show really appreciate you uh spending the time with us here today good luck the rest of the season bass edge radio we'll be right back
0: patented in 2000 perfected over years of testing and real world punishment the power hole is the ultimate shallow water boat positioning tool swift PowerPole deploys in seconds from anywhere in your boat. Virtually silent, PowerPole won't spook wary fish. Secure in strong current or gusting winds in up to 8 feet of water. Engineered to take it with a lifetime unconditional replacement guarantee on the spike. PowerPole. Swift. Silent. Secure. Visit PowerPole.com to find a dealer near you.
1: Jeff Sprague bringing the goodies. Oh yeah! What do you think, Aaron?
2: Oh man, a lot of information there. I thought it was it was all very good, high energy. I liked how he talked, just a wide array of things. But wanting to kind of tackle, you know, the first parking spot that he was going to pick. But I think I think I'll just leave that one alone.
1: <laughs> yeah. Let's leave that one alone. I'll tell you what I would like to tackle. I would like to tackle the fact that. Through all of his co-angler, you know, all of his experiences, it comes down to one thing. He's not doing a whole lot of pre-practice, not doing a whole lot of preconceived notions before he gets to tournaments. He is putting together the daily patterns, the daily conditional ways that he feels like he needs the fish that gives him the most confidence to put bass in the boat on a consistent basis. Because really, that's what kind of turns my knob, right? You know, I'm just like, how do guys continue to be so consistent? I want to be a top 10 AOY guy right? That's where I want to be. Probably some of my uh, push to achieve that goal has been trying to rely on what I'm hearing and taking from other people, which is important to be versatile and understand different aspects that you can encounter, specifically with the fundamentals of the game. But I believe once you get to a certain point, just as Jeff mentioned in his interview, the rubber meets the road. you got to do your thing to be consistent at it. And I think that's so important.
2: Well, no doubt. And I always go back to, you know, what Dr. J. McNamara, of course, the author of The Psychology of Exceptional Fishing, who we've had on here numerous times, he talks about fishing your personality. And for some of us, perhaps we depend on it too much, but that knowledge and that reading and listening and absorbing as much as what we possibly can, that serves certain people. But, like, Jeff, you know, to me, there's there's a lot to be said about simplicity because you get to a certain level fundamentally in as much time as what, like, you guys have been on the water. At some point in time, you can't be clouded, right? Your mental space can't be clouded with more and more information. There's only so much bandwidth. Mine just happens to be a lot less than most. But, uh, you know, you eventually,
1: the same,
2: yeah, the same. you've got to trust that instinct, that intuition. And that's why it's such a fun sport. So I love the fact that our sport allows for, if you can think. Think of it and you can do it however you want. There's, you know, multiple ways to get from St. Louis to Albuquerque, but there's just right. going to be one that's going to be better for you and what you're traveling with. And I think the same is true for fishing. So not to go into too much, you know, I, I don't know if you have any thoughts on, the, on that piece of it, Kurt.
1: I'd love to just chime in one more time. And, and that's the fact that he takes all of his learning experiences, takes those fundamentals, puts them into a little box and spits out what he wants for himself. So, you know, again, you've got that angler identity. We've talked about it in the past. Follow that identity. Don't always look for answers somewhere else. I think it's important to look for answers within. If you're not having the success you desire, change something within, you know, as far as what your own process is, not necessarily look to always mimic something else because somewhere inside you is that successful angler. You just got to keep digging around until it shines through the mirror.
2: Uh, No doubt. I feel like we've just had a session on the counselor's couch. But, uh, you know, you spoke earlier of where the rubber meets the road, and that is official where we are at for this episode of Bass Edge Radio. Once again, Kurt and I would just like to thank you, the listener. Certainly, we've said it many times before. There's a lot of different ways that you could choose to spend your time, and we most definitely appreciate you spending it with us. Until next time, which will be July 1st. Unbelievable. But for Kurt Dove, I am Aaron Martin, and the rest of the Bass Edge crew. So long, everybody, and enjoy the next two weeks.
0: is presented by Megaware Keelguard. For more information on Bass Edge or to shop at the Bass Edge online store, visit BassEdge.com and be sure to join Kurt Dove and Aaron Martin right here on another episode of The Edge. Brought to you in part by Nitro Boats, O'Reilly Auto Parts, Lucas Oil, ProtectTheHarvest.com, Mercury Marine, Lawrence Electronics, PowerPole, and Rapaholic.com.